You're listening to the Behaviour Change Marketing Bootcamp Podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Dale, and together we'll explore how behavioural science and social marketing and design thinking can be used to communicate, change and influence behaviour. Every week we chat with the experts, that's the practitioners, the academics and the book writers, and we share three aha moments to help you increase your impact and set your comms and marketing on fire. Hello, I'm Ruth and I'm your podcast host and I have just finished interviewing Professor Robert West and it was so exciting. It was brilliant to be back interviewing, but also just to meet the king of combi. Professor Robert West is one of the best behavioural scientists in the world. And so everything he has to say, we have to really listen. And I was just so excited. And so thank you. And I will stop talking in a moment because I know it's him that you've come to listen to and not me. But before we do, I just want to say thank you to everyone who supported us in 2022. 2022 was an incredible year for the bootcamp training and the podcast. We learned so much. We had so much positive feedback and we wanted to make sure we took January to really understand what we wanted to do for this year. And we ask everyone for the last couple of years, we've run the help. I'm not a behavioral scientist. Get me out of here survey. We wanted to make sure we'd actually read that, digested it and used it before we do our third year. So this survey is released across public health, communications, marketing, not-for-profit, anyone who's really using behavioral science to increase impact, um, specifically around marketing communications, but it can be project and intervention-based also. But yeah, we just really want to use that survey to really understand what your needs are. And so before we did our third, we wanted to make sure we'd listen to that one. And also everyone who comes through bootcamp, we do ask them, what's your feedback and we wanted to make sure that we listened to all of those and we ran last year we ran five bootcamp lives and multiple team training in total we've had over 300 people come through the bootcamp training which is just incredible and we're so happy that you've chosen us to train with but also we wanted to make sure that actually the offer for 2023 is keeping pace with what's needed because we have never been in a period of time where pressures are so much everything we do the whole point of all this is in order to help reduce health inequalities the cost of living is seeing health inequalities accelerate and people in public sector roles have never seen such pressure we have not had any breathing space since covid and so we want to make sure our offer is still really accessible for you which is why we do the one day deep dive So we chose two words to help keep us focused for this year, and that's kindness and accessibility. So come on to those, because I don't know if you've noticed that our podcast can come and go. It comes and goes because when we're actually working on a behavioural insights project, which we still do alongside the training and the podcast, we are, well, I, okay, I can't manage both. I really struggle. My poor brain just doesn't manage to record the podcasts and get them out. And then also when I'm doing the research. So that's why we ebb and flow so much. But I'm a marketer by trade. And so not having consistency is a killer for me. It's the sort of thing that wakes me up at night. I'm like, oh no, we must have consistency. But also we really have found the learning from the last couple of years is that the podcast is key to accessibility really breaking down complex science and making it really accessible for people is just been so well received it's really popular and we just want to do more of that 
So yeah, getting consistency in the podcast is absolutely key to increasing that accessibility. But to do that is we really want to bridge the gap more, even more between behavioral scientists and practitioners, which is why we're kickstarting this season with Professor West, one of the best behavioral scientists in the world. And then coming up, we've also got Samuel Salter, which is also, he is also one of the best behavioral scientists in the world, in my humble opinion. But also he focuses in on habits and personal favorite, but also extremely popular. So that's coming up too. So we will make sure we hear a lot more from the behavioral scientists, but also we will interject with some more core breaking down core theories and core frameworks so you can get using them. Other way we want to increase accessibility is that we are just giving everyone who has been through the boot camp training. So I call you boot campers. Hope you don't mind. But for all boot campers, you automatically get invited to all of our masterclasses. And to be honest, last year we didn't do as many as we wanted. The last one, we had over 80 people and we were so chuffed that people turned up. So we know the need is there, but we just didn't get as many out as we wanted. So we've decided just to offer lifetime access. So let's not overcomplicate anything. It doesn't matter when you came into bootcamp, you can get all the recordings and then you automatically get invited to all the free stuff. We want to make sure these are subjects that you just don't get free on YouTube. You know, you can Google all of the behavioral science on YouTube, but what makes our classes different is we want to look at the application of it. So that's where the word kindness comes in because we want our spaces to be where you can ask any question you want and you will feel the kindness from everyone in the sense they will share their learning, they will share their barriers and they'll share their ideas with you. I really think that kindness is the superpower that behavioral science unleashes. We felt so much kindness from so many people last year and it was just like fuel to keep us going. We really want to reflect that back out. We really want it to be our core value. So we want to show kindness in all of our communication and I really want to hopefully, you know, start amplifying that kindness and maybe, you know, if we're kind, then someone else can pass it on. But also, once you use behavioural science to deeply understand your audience, to really empathise with them and why people do what they do and what the blockers are within people's environments and worlds with regards to change, then you just can't help but feel kindness. So I, I think kindness is completely underrated, but also I think behavioral science is one of the ways you can actually unleash kindness because you can feel the kindness towards your audience the more you get to know them. And I think it's a missing missing element of our campaign planning. But I mean, I can't imagine ever saying to a boss, oh no, on the Excel spreadsheet chart, project Gantt chart, oh, have a, a dose of kindness in there. It'll make it so much better. It's definitely not something that you're going to add to your project plan. But that's why we're calling it our value because we just want it actually to be something that people take away when they've been through our training, that they take away not only increased knowledge, not only increased confidence, but they take away a dose of kindness that they really feel and want to go and share with the rest of the world as well. Because there's one thing that really unites everyone who comes through the training. And whether it's NHS, local gov, not-for-profit, the agencies, the advertising agencies, the design agencies we work with, everyone is there because they really want to help make somebody's life a bit better, a community a bit better. And that is just together so strong and so powerful. So bringing that 
together is just, I don't know, I have a feeling it could just be amazing. I will stop talking now because you really need to hear from the best behavioural scientist, one of the best behavioural scientists in the world, the king of combi, Professor Robert West. Today, we are delighted to welcome to the Behaviour Change Marketing Bootcamp podcast, a celeb in the behaviour change world, the king of combi, Professor Robert West. I'm just looking down here to read out his biog because it is just beautifully written and it's going to introduce him a lot better than I ever could. So Robert West is Professor Emeritus of Health Psychology at University College London. He specialises in behaviour change. He co-founded the Behaviour Change Wheel, the Capability, Opportunity, Motivation, Combi behavior change framework and the prime theory of motivation. He has more than 900 underline exclamation bold 900, which he's now says it's actually over a thousand academic publications and numerous books as well on behavioral science. I'm waving one to the camera. He is former editor-in-chief of the academic journal Addiction and has acted as an advisor to the UK government and currently advises the Welsh government. His most recent book is React, Harness Your Animal Brain, which provides a concise summary of our understanding of motivation as it applies to topics such as addiction. So a much needed read there as well. So, oh my gosh, we are in the presence of greatness. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Professor Robert West. It's a great pleasure. Thank you for asking me. No, I mean, I was so excited to be here. We had a little chat just before we got started. And I think today we're just going to go through exactly, I mean, how do you feel about the rise in popularity of Combi? You are the brains behind it, yourself and your fellow authors. And now you just hear it across most of the public sector. Um, I'm a marketer by trade and I hear it in the comms and marketing space all the time and, and even in consumer marketing space now as well. So how do you feel about the rise in popularity? And could you just share a little bit of the background about how Combi came about? Well, it's, it's obviously gratifying that it has become so popular. I think what that is, is a testimony to the fact that it's not really a new idea, but it resonates with people. It came about, I don't know whether how many of your listeners know this, but it came about because I'm a big fan of of courtroom dramas. <laughs> and uh, anyone who's watched Perry Mason and, or any of these other ones will know that when you have to demonstrate that someone is guilty of a crime, you have to show three things, basically capability, opportunity, and motivation. And it occurred to me, well, okay, well, that, that's true for murder. You know, it's actually probably true for pretty much everything. So, and it is. And so it sort of evolved from that. And then Susan Mickey, who's my wife, as well as, you know, my uh, most prolific collaborator, pointed out that actually there'd been work done back in the 1980s by a group of psychologists in which they tried to come up with a, a kind of general model of behavior and come up with something not that dissimilar to Combi. So, so Combi, I guess its popularity arises from the fact that what it's done is it's, it's a, a nice, neat form, something that people kind of already intuitively know. But then having had that brought into consciousness and then put into a model, a specific model with a you know, formal framework and so on, it allows you to do so much more with it than you could do if you just have some vague sense of, of it being the case. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So thank you because I was grinning so much when you said that because one huge Perry Mason fan, 
But I don't know if you know, you probably don't know. In our bootcamp training, we talk about combi and we do it murder mystery style. Because and my inspiration was the COVID lockdown and binge watching Death in Paradise. Because at the end, you know, he's always brings it, he brings it all together. And I seriously did not know that was your inspiration. So you can be really proud that actually that follows through. It's like the kind of sense of let's bring it together and let's prove it is alive, even though I had no idea that that was your inspiration. So that's incredible. Well, that's that is true. And I do like Death in Paradise. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? I love all these things. <laughs> it's just a hot country for me. So how do you feel about the fact that it's being used so widely outside of public health? And, you know, it's it's kind of academic, but also in the corporate sector almost. It's so popular. I work with lots of behavioural scientists across the globe. I'm in lots of the memberships. And I just love hearing what they're doing, what they're saying. And it's literally globally adopted. I'd say 99.99999% of doing it, you know, because they're working on an amazing project that wants to change lives. So to know Mm. that you've had that ripple effect must just be incredible. Mm. Well, it's, I mean, it is nice. And I think that the reason actually why it goes sort of beyond public health and health, which is obviously my area, is because it is, it's only got four things in it, (laughs) capability, opportunity, motivation and behavior, but that each of those then provides a heading for something else. And actually, if you then look at Combi and take it further, you can take any of those things and they provide a heading for something else. So it's kind of like, I think what it is, it's an entry point into behavioral science that, you know, there's so many different ways in which you can think of behavioral science, whether it's physiological analysis or anthropology or sociology or psychology. Having a single entry point from which you can then expand into any of these kinds of approaches and disciplines at any level of detail, I think it's almost like you can breathe a sigh of relief, you know, thank goodness, because so often it's where you start that's the difficult part. It's, yes. you know, how, if I've got a problem, you know, someone's, someone's given me a brief, for example, it's a, you know, can you do this to change behavior in some way or influence behavior? I think, okay, well, where do I start? Well, it gives you that starting point. I mean, it's not a substitute. It's a very general model. So it's obviously not a substitute for the you know fantastic models that are out there and theories, there's very specific ones. But there's loads of those. You know, Susan and I have done a book where we delineated 83 of them. And that and that's just sort of scraping the surface. So there's there's so many different models. And that was, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any physiological ones in there at all. So anyway, I think the, the key here is it is this is your starting point. And then you can go down whatever path makes a sense, you know, from that point on. Yes, brilliant. Thank you. So let's explore a little bit deeper into your latest work with Public Health Wales, because this is kind Mm. of how what led me to you as your latest publication. And it's with Ashley Gold. Is that how you say, Mm. I want to say your name correctly? So big shout out to Ashley, because this is an absolutely fantastic publication. And I highly recommend all people in public health space read it, to be honest, because it is Mm. just, there was some real gold and you can see how the thinking has been advanced and it kind of answers loads of questions that I found myself having in the workplace and that lots of questions that come up in our training. So it's called Improving Health and Wellbeing, a guide to behavioural science and policy and practice. But could you please share a little bit about the thinking behind that and also really exciting development. They've got a new behavioural science unit. So were you working with them and how did mm. this kind of publication come about and is there any plans to roll it out? 
Yeah, absolutely. No, this is, I can't tell you what a pleasure it is to work with Ashley. Oh, <laughs> um, brilliant. I've known him for, for many years, you know, because of work in public health. But then when Ashley was setting up this behavioral science unit in Public Health Wales, uh, he very kindly asked if I would help out and, you know, do some consultancy. And the first, I think the first real job, big job that he asked me to do was to work with him to create this guide. And it was a great opportunity. Susan and I and others had just fairly recently done a couple of guides for England, for Public Health England. One was a guide for national government and one was a guide for local government. And and th- those were already a bit of an extension of the Behaviour Change Wheel book that we wrote and in, in published, I think, in 2014 or 2016. Yeah. So each time we do one of these things, we it's an opportunity to move things a little bit further, but also to explain it a bit more clearly for a broader audience, I think. And so this was a great opportunity. And Ash is such a great person to work with because because he really gets it, you know, he, yeah. he really gets behavioral science. And, and he also works with some other, you know, amazing people in his, both in his team, but also others, you know, who he networks with, you know, so he, he's tremendously well connected in the behavioral science area. And so the guide was an opportunity to kind of help to launch the behavioral science unit and do something that would apply the behavior change wheel method, the idea can be the wheel itself and, you know, the various things that go along with that, such as the APIs framework and so on, to put that all together in in its most modern, you know, state of the art, you know, hopefully well articulated form, so that people in public health generally and, and using the you know, Ashley was very keen to say, you know, this isn't just about smoking and drinking and exercise and so on. This is about well-being. This is about climate change. This is about sustainability. This is about, you know, yeah. violence against women. This is, you know, all of these broader aspects of human well-being are encapsulated within it. So it's an opportunity to apply it and and create a sort of the most up-to-date version possible of the guide for that broad audience. And can I say just one thing about about the rollout of the guide? And that is yes. that it's freely available, obviously, on the internet. But Ashley has produced, I've got it here. I don't know if you've seen the hard copy version, but Ashley's produced a hard copy version. And rarely, Ooh. rarely, I have to say, do I prefer the hard copy version. But I really do with this one because it's in a sort of ring-bound format, in a, in a sort of landscape format, and it really works. So I would love it if there was some, you know, Ashley or someone could just pay for, you know, people just have this on their desks because it's, I actually look at it myself. I sit there, I have it on my desk and I use it to refer to. Amazing. You know, hard copy sometimes is useful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, yeah, I have to admit, I do prefer hard copies. That's fantastic. I think so for anyone who's sort of listening, what what size is that then? Kind of A4. So it's it, it's A it's sort of landscape A4, I think. Landscape A4. Yeah. So it's a bit yeah. different as well. So it's quite good from, you know, marketing perspective, you'd remember where it is. Oh, and I have to say, so personally, I found the guide, like you say, absolutely just a toolkit. I know I will be using it. We're currently deep diving on a sexual health project. And already I'm thinking, oh, yes, just some brilliant reminders. 
And there are parts when you're applying combi where you might think, oh my gosh, have I got this right or wrong? And you, you know, you've always got to be kind to yourself and allow yourself to ask colleagues or go back and check, explore things. It's not a right or wrong. Yes, you can do it. No, you can't sort of roll. And so I just thought when I was reading it, I wanted to let everyone know you have to, first of all, download it and then go to page seven where there are seven principles. And I'm just going to read straight from it, if that's okay, because I just thought it's absolutely genius. It says, so the third principles or the, you know, the values of the work is do not be blinkered into using a particular implementation option, e.g., communications campaign or legislation, just because it seems most obvious. So I know all the comms and marketers are out there like, yay, thank goodness, because so often we are brought in so late and the decision making has passed and you kind of stand there going, mm, it's really not a comms campaign or, you know, are you sure you need that? So just to even have that as a value is absolutely brilliant. And it goes on to say around the early adopted assumption that increasing knowledge through or education will lead to change. Isn't that terrible? But basically, don't just jump to if we tell them they will do it. Oh, my gosh. And that's absolutely fantastic, because, again, that is definitely something that people come to communicators to say, you know, with this underlying assumption that if people understand why people are doing their jobs or why this policy is there or what the meaning is, that suddenly people will change their behavior. And of course, we know they won't. So if nothing Mm. else, go to that bit, everyone. Mm. It's interesting you should say that because it, it's um, it's a bit like one of these uh, sort of sayings that people say, like, you, you know, don't believe what you read in the newspapers, but everyone believes what they read in the newspapers. And yet people know, you know, everyone knows, you know, you can't, education is not the only thing, you know, you can't just tell people and then they'll do it. But then we go on and assume that you can. And even behavioral scientists do it. When we're trying to persuade people not to just use education, we think we can just educate them not to just use education. education and they'll yeah. go, oh, yeah, that's right. I mustn't you just use education. Yeah. Yeah. If we tell <laughs> so, them. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. to heal thyself. <laughs> It's so true. Well, look at our education system. It's all based on passing knowledge into children in a very sedentary fashion, expecting them to, you know, revolutionise their lives. I mean, and having said that, I also I also want to say, if I may, uh, that education and knowledge are unbelievably important. You know. Oh yes. It's so the the reason why so often in, in particularly in areas like public health. It turns out that education isn't enough it is because that's already been done and it wasn't enough. So, you know, we get given the difficult jobs, the ones where, you know, people were told and they did understand what the right thing to do was. And they did, in many cases, want to do it, but they didn't do it. And so that's when we sort of, you know, behavioral science very often steps in because if all you needed to do was to educate people and tell them stuff, then, you know, the job's done before we, you know, we get the phone call. Yeah, we'd all be out of a job and the world would be a very different place, wouldn't it? (laughs) You're right. We'd have different jobs. (laughs) And there also is another part in there, which I think you bring together brilliantly from a behavioural science perspective, especially for people getting started. And often we talk a lot about the behavioural biases, confirmation bias, loss aversion. And I love the way you bring them in and use them and show how they're part of the combi framework. I think in marketing, we can be a little bit guilty of using the biases within our messaging, perhaps without the 
just understanding the science um, and the impact of using these messages at scale, not necessarily because we understand our audience. It's more that we understand that scarcity, you know, increases activity, etc. But there's one I wasn't sure of. I wondered if you could explain what the egocentric bias is. The egocentric bias is... It's it's a cognitive bias primarily, although it sounds as though it's more of an emotional bias, but it's really a cognitive bias, which is that you, if you look at our experience, our experience is only what we, this is going to sound a bit trite and sort of obvious, but we can only experience what we experience, right? What that means is then that if it's something's outside our experience, we don't know about it. We don't sort of, you know, it, it doesn't enter mm. our consciousness. And so from that, we tend to think that if we don't know it, it isn't known. If it's not oh. part of our experience, it's not part of anyone's experience. And so we're seeing everything from uh, very understandably from our own sort of very narrow, limited perspective. If I may use my mother as an example, who's now no longer with us, so she can't berate me for this. You know, I'd done, you know, like decades of work on smoking cessation. And I would tell her that, you know, that smoking prevalence is declining in the UK. And she'd say, no, it isn't. It's actually increasing because I see, you know, loads of smokers down at the bus station, right? Okay. And so her experience is trumping the data. And that's just one example of it. But I mean, even perceptually, if you think, if you think about your field of vision, You've got a blind spot in your retina, which is where the optic nerve comes in. You can't yeah. see that blind spot because, because you can't see it. It's not in your field of vision, as it were, literally. So we all have blind spots, metaphorically as well as physically. And that's what egocentric bias is about. Okay. I think I really like that because I think that's something that people are a little bit aware of and might actually worry that they're they're overlaying and bringing their own assumptions and they are a bit narrow in their thinking when they're doing the analysis or, you know, when they're trying to sort of wade through some of the insights. And you've just reminded me as you were talking, I was reading your book, Energize, and I love it just for anyone who hasn't read it. It's so easy to read. I read it at the hairdressers and it's kind of a conversation between you and your son, Jamie. Hello, Jamie. Mm. And I love the bit where you said about if you nod off, it's okay. There was something about, you know, if you thought about just falling asleep and being on, you know, your brain being reset again, how would you feel about that? And now you think, oh my gosh, that sounds horrific. Like some sort of dodgy Netflix program where the person's on a continuous loop. And my imagination just went, went, oh, but then you said, actually, we do that all the time. And I am guilty. Mm. I have two young children. I'm very guilty of nodding off when I'm watching one of their dreadful (laughs) TV programs, hopefully. But yeah. So mm. is that the same thing? Like it's your experience. It's like you only know, yes. I, you don't know what's happening when you're asleep and that's okay. Yes. It, it, although, of course, in a sleep, you, you very often when you, you're in REM sleep, you know, you do have an inner world and you dream. And so, you know, what normally happens in normal sleep is that you wake up in the morning and you kind of know you've been asleep for a bit. But very often when you nod off, you don't know you've been asleep, as you, as you rightly say. And I do this, actually, as Susan will sort of comment on this at the end of a TV program that I've missed half of because I've <laughs> nodded off and I don't know I've nodded off. But that's exactly it. It's that you appear to have a continuous existence because your experience 
you can only experience things when you're experiencing them. As yeah. soon as you, your brain is inactive for what's, whatever reason, such as you don't experience them, it's not like there's a gap that, you know, you notice a gap. It's like two bits of film that have been spliced together. And you really notice this in general anesthesia, where you know, general anesthesia is so deep, it's like you go to sleep and then you wake up again immediately. You think, oh, what happened? You know, you could have been out for six hours. So yes, that's, um, okay. it, it, and it's, you know, it's quite a nice sort of thing to you know, just always bear in mind. It's not a bad thing, you know, an egocentric sort of bias is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's, it's inevitable, but it's what you then do about it is okay. when you, when you believe something or when you taking a particular perspective on something, always treat that as a hypothesis not as yeah. a confirmed fact until and unless you know you get information from other sort of sources that help you to think okay you know i can be a little bit more confident about this but you know be a good what we would call in statistical sense uh, terms bayesian that's from thomas bayes and bayes theorem but someone who's always updating your probabilities on things with new information okay i love that I love it. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. So sorry, sort of detoured off there a little bit. And I, because I really wanted to get to your framework near and afar. So that's also in the Public Health Wales um, guide. So could you, because I would, that was brand new to me. And then I was like, ah, oh, this is another genius moment, light bulb alert. Could you just give a really brief overview of what that is? Yes. So when you're, you, you've done your sort of combi analysis, your capability, opportunity and motivation, and you're trying to figure out what behavior change techniques are going to get you towards your goal. Well, there's an awful lot of them. There's 93 in the current taxonomy that Susan developed. And Susan and I and colleagues are working on a new version, which will be out later this year, which will have, I think, a 270. <laughs> Okay. Oh wow. So okay. it's a lot, right? So so how do you how do you sort of get into in a scientific way into choosing what is the right behavior change technique or or blend of behavior change techniques to use in a given context for a given combi diagnosis? And I was prompted to think about it in this way by a neighbor of mine who had I think he'd seen a TV interview or something that I'd done. And he said, Oh, you know, you made it so simple for us to understand, you know, about behavior and behavior change. But what you said was make it easy, just make it easy. And I thought, well, actually, I did say more than that. <laughs> and that made me think, well, actually, what did I say? Well, actually, what I said was, if for a behavior to occur, you, you know, to make it more likely, you want to make it normal, normative, norms are hugely important, easy, in other words, provide opportunity and improve people's capabilities, attractive, that means that they must feel emotionally that this is something they want or need to do. Mm. And routine, make it habitual. So that gives you near, normal, uh, easy, attractive, and routine. And that gives you, you know, always thinking like the combi model as of ways in which people can get an entry into a complex world of behavioral science. It gives you that starting point because then you say, yeah. okay, I want to make it normal. How do I do that? What are, yeah. the, what are the behavior change techniques that I need to do in this case that are going to help with that? Or how do I make it attractive or routine? Okay. And then a FAR, which admittedly is a bit of a stretch with the, to, to, to get the acronym right, but is kind of like the opposite of that. 
abnormal. Okay, so you make it something abnormal, which we do, like you know, drink driving, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and this is the one that doesn't really work terribly well. It's semantically, it's okay. Fraught. Fraught. <laughs> Fraught. Okay. In other words, the opposite of easy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, ideally, it would be hard. But or difficult, but a da doesn't sound good. Anyway, and then you've got aversive, the opposite of attractive, and reflective. So get people to think before they act. So that's that's where a far comes from. Oh, these are brilliant. I love it. Thank you so much because I love the routine one because it brings in all of the habit theory, mm. which is just exploding, I think, at the moment. It's becoming very popular mm. as everyone looks at their habits. I'm not saying that it's the first of Feb and we have, well, I didn't start my Jan resolutions, my new habits. <laughs> so, But they're absolutely really easy to use. And I think something we'll explore a little bit more in our training, most definitely, because uh, I think actually... Even just remembering it, it's so simple. It's something definitely that everyone can master themselves and get more confident in using this incredible work. So I'm hugely grateful for your time today. You've been fantastic. And just to highlight that you do actually run a YouTube channel, which is talking about making things easy. You're making it easy yourself as well. How could everyone find you? What's the YouTube channel about? Oh, well, thank you for the plug. <laughs> That's really nice. Yeah, I'm just starting it up and I, I'm putting the videos up. I've actually got loads of videos that I've recorded and I haven't had time yet to edit down. The most okay. recent one I did was on free will, which um, has attracted a certain amount of interest because it's such you know such an interesting topic for behavioral scientists particularly. Anyway, so mm -hmm. if you just go on to YouTube, if you're a YouTuber, which I have become recently in, in my retirement, semi-retirement, go to YouTube and the channel channel is called Unlocking Behaviour Change. Okay. Unlocking Behaviour Change. And it's got a little padlock with combi on it, which, is, which um. actually works, combination lock, which is actually quite a fun kind of concept because, of course, what you're doing when you're trying to change behaviour is unlock a combination lock, as it turns out. So. Yeah, yeah. that's a And that's a lovely analogy, actually, to remember combi, I think. It's lovely. Mm. I also like the combination lock analogy because actually it shows that it's up to the individual to unlock as well. It's not nanny state mm. coming in to do it. It's almost like they have mm. to unlock for themselves. It's very empowering, I think. I actually did a podcast recently where this issue of responsibility and nanny state came in. So I like, if I can just get a quick plug in. I think the key here is that is to recognize that health and well-being are everyone's responsibility. That includes the government, that includes organizations, that includes families, that includes all, you know, groups, local government, and so on, and it includes individuals. So what tends to happen and what you know, somewhat politically motivated people will sometimes do is talk about, oh, we don't want a nanny state. Mm. What they mean is they don't want the government to take its responsibility for health when it definitely has one by saying it's all got to be on the individual when as we know only too well you know in most cases people are not empowered to take that kind of responsibility so it's a bit of a sort of fake libertarianism if you like but there we go that was my little rant yeah. about nanny no, I well I couldn't agree more I've worked in both central and local government and I think from behavioral science we know that the environment triggers loads of behaviors 
So if you've got a continual disinvestment, planned disinvestment over a generation in the environment, the local environment, then, you know, you're kind of not only telling people they're not good enough on an individual level, you're also taking from them in a, you know, constant level. And so, yeah, and how on earth could people even begin to start? So, yes, the widening of health inequalities, I think, is something, yeah, it's definitely something we can't skirt around when we're talking about change. Because we talk about how can we learn from change. So it's so important that we find the things that are working because so much hasn't worked. So, yeah, and I couldn't agree with you more there. But just to finish now for 2023, we're asking everyone to please share a Quake book. And just for listeners, 2022, we asked for your favourite or to recommend a book that your favourite book in behavioural science or a book that changed your life. But people came with two or three. And to be honest, we want a little bit more deeper thought. So we're calling it The Quake Book. Just so is please share a book that changed your life. Okay, that's not a difficult one for me because there is one and it's called Tools for Thought by a guy called Waddington. And it may be out of print, but you can probably get it secondhand uh, if you go onto Google. Tools for Thought. It's brilliant. And it's a funny thing because I discovered this book when I was a PhD student and I just couldn't believe how good it was. And then it, it turns out that Susan Mickey, my wife and, and sort of, you know, academic partner, Waddington, who was a geneticist, used to come around to their house. Susan's parents are very famous scientists. And uh, anyway, he used to come around to their house. And so Susan knew Waddington and, and he was oh. my absolute hero. Oh, wow. You were destined, weren't you? destined. Oh, that's fantastic. Right. So we will look that up. We will find a place that is still selling that somehow and pop it into the show notes for everyone. So if you like the opportunity to change your life, you can check out this book. But a huge thank you to you, Professor Robert West. You are the king of combi. You are definitely a celeb in our world. And um, we will hook up your YouTube channel and your both your books, Energize and React. But also there's an academic link that I will link in there for everyone if they want to check out more of your academic publications. So thank you for your time this morning. It's hugely appreciated. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening. We're so delighted you joined us. And if you've got any value out of this at all, or even if you just simply had a little chuckle, please do share it with anyone you think it may benefit. And please, if you do leave a review, oh my gosh, we would be forever in your debt. The algorithms on podcasts are pretty tough and reviews do make all the difference. So please do head over onto your platform and leave us one. And also, if you need to know anything about our latest training or you just want to get in touch, head over to our website, which is www.socialinsightmarketing.co.uk forward slash bootcamp. 